get help for that need. And in Mark chapter 8, as Jesus encounters a blind man, he's doing a little bit more than just simply restoring one man's sight, although he's not doing less. So this story is only found in Mark's gospel, and it's a really an odd story. A partial healing, and then it gives way to kind of a full healing, a full restoration of this guy's sight. And yet you have to question, why does Mark, out of all the, the gospel witnesses, out of all the gospels that we have in the scripture, why does Mark have this and no one else have it? Why does he include the story? Why does he put it here? And then even that, like, why this strange healing where Jesus touches the man and it doesn't work all the way, and then he has to touch him again? Why two touches? And I think the context that Mark has brought us through helps us with this. If you look back in chapter 8, verse 18, this is right after Jesus says he's fed 4,000, he's with his disciples. Remember, they got in the boat. They're a little bit concerned that they only have one loaf of bread. They keep discussing this. And here's what Jesus says to them. He starts asking these kind of sobering questions for them to consider. He says, Having eyes to see, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you, do you not yet understand? And that's where the last story stops, with that question, do you not yet understand? The disciples have been following Jesus. They've been witnessing his life and his ministry, his character. They've been doing it closely. Indeed, they have a unique view into the life and ministry of Jesus. So much so that when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, the 4,000, we don't know if everybody that was there that was fed knows how they got fed. But the disciples knew. They could not know Because Jesus was handing them loaves of bread and fish to pass out. They were uniquely in on that miracle. They could have seen uniquely the glory and greatness of Jesus as he passes out the bread. They've been following closely. And yet they get on the boat and they start questioning, like, oh man, we forgot the bread. We only have one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? We don't have bread. And Jesus has to ask them, having eyes, do you not yet see? In verse 21, do you not yet understand? Jesus' emphasis on those questions as he approached them in the boat was an emphasis on their lack of sight, a lack of understanding. It wasn't about primarily their lack of understanding of the feedings. It was about their lack of understanding. They didn't see. Their words and their behavior show that their sight of Jesus, their knowledge of him, is not where it should be. It's woefully short of what Jesus has shown them. Woefully short maybe of perhaps what they should know. And dropped right in after all those questions from Jesus and their misunderstanding and lack of clarity is the story of a blind man. Right after all those penetrating questions for the disciples who lack sight, who lack understanding, is a blind man. And Jesus does something strange with this blind man. He touches him and doesn't fully heal him, and he has to touch him again. So in other words, this man goes from no sight to blurry sight to full restoration of his sight. And the emphasis the entire time, if you could underline it, seeing, sight. He can't see, he does see. It's all over this couple verses. And there's a process of healing that, again, brings even more emphasis to what Jesus is doing. So in other words, I think when we take this short story of Jesus healing a blind man, I think Jesus intends to do more than just to heal a blind man, although he most definitely intends to do that. He intends to show more than just his power to heal, although he does intend to show that. He uses two steps. He uses some moving from blind to being blurry to full, clear sight. So certainly, Jesus is ministering to the blind man personally, meaningfully, but there's more. 
I think Jesus aims to give his disciples a, a picture of themselves. Almost a, a hold up a mirror for them in a sense with this blind man being the mirror. To give them a picture of where they're at. And in so doing, I think Jesus probably gives a picture of where we're at as well. And maybe the lack of understanding that Jesus confronted in, chapter, in verses 18 through 21 as he questions the disciples, maybe it resonated with you last week. Maybe it resonated deeply. And like the disciples, they were in close proximity to Jesus. They had a unique view into Jesus. This is a very church place. You guys being here this morning is witness to like, we're church people in a way. Many of us are exposed to or have been exposed for a long period of time to Christianity. There's at least some gospel familiarity, some familiarity with the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus in many around us and likely in most of you today. And so that's all present. And the good thing is, is that while this means that many of us then, if we have the gospel that's familiar to us, we know of the life and ministry of Jesus, that's a really good thing. That, that means that some of us can see him clearly. Some of us know him, love him, follow him as the son of God. But there are undoubtedly many that are fuzzy in their understanding of Jesus, that lack clarity in who Jesus is in how he's revealed himself. Like these disciples who are close to Jesus, there are many who lack clarity on not only who Jesus is, but what it means for their life. Maybe what it means for your life. Or what it means to be found in him, to have your identity in him, to live in him. I grew up and I cannot remember a time when I wasn't in church. I can't remember a time when I didn't know about Jesus. I did the whole nine yards, right? You went to Sunday school, Go to your class, you do that, then you go to big church, what we called it. And I did all that, did VBS all the time, like there, I did all that. I, I graduated all that you can graduate in terms of growing up in the church. I can't remember not knowing about Jesus, but did I know him as the authoritative son of God? I know him as one who is worthy of every ounce of my being. Well, looking back now, I can say, man, there was a lot of times when I did not. I didn't see clearly. Many know enough about Christianity and the gospel to be considered Christian. You could pass all the tests, even within the church. Like, you know all the answers. Like, you know about Christianity. You know about gospel. You're staying close to it even because you know you're supposed to. Many have an understanding. They have some of the facts. They have some of the information presented by Christianity and the gospel. But my guess is that there's some present in this room that struggle with this inward clarity they have these inward doubts of their position before God, who they are in Christ or not, and lack some assurance of their salvation and position with God. And I would say that their sight is fuzzy because they lack clarity on Jesus and what that means for them and for their life. They know right things, but they have blurred vision. And who are they supposed to be in Jesus? And this lack of inward clarity is an inward clarity that, that lacks enough to it. It can't be fully ignored. You, you can't just put it away or explain it away. And whether you're in that place today or not, I know every believer knows that place. And we don't come there on our own. We know what it's like to not see things clearly. And here's the good news is that Jesus doesn't ignore disciples in that place. His disciples don't understand. And he doesn't ignore them and he doesn't slam them. He shepherds them. He questions them so that they would think. 
And then he leads them to a blind man. He leads them to a blind, blind man to, to show them, to show us how he can give sight. How he's the one that can give sight clearly and fully. You see, Mark gives us a story of Jesus' ministry that reflects those whose sight is a little bit fuzzy, blurry. Those who need their sight cleared up. Mark drops a, dry, a blind man right into the middle of that. And the Holy Spirit, as he led Mark along in writing his gospel, was intentional in his ordering of the word. As Jesus was intentional with not only his travels and his time. Here we see Jesus traveling. He goes, verse 22, comes to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and they begged him to touch him. And so he takes the blind man by the head and he, hand and he leads him out of the village. Mark, again, is, is just a great writer. Like, who brings him? We don't know. Just some people. What happened to him? Because it seems like, if you read the story, it's like, it seems like he could have seen before. Like, he, he could see and then he goes blind and then he's going to be able to see again. Why is he blind? Did he fall in a well? Did he get kicked by a mule? Like, we don't know. All unanswered. And Mark doesn't even bat an eye. He just moves right along. Jesus grabs the guy by the hand and he leads him out of the city. He establishes, in, in other words, relationship with this man. He goes to him, he touches him, he grabs him by the hand and he leads him out of the village. It's not too dissimilar from what we saw in chapter 7, verse 33. With the, the man who is deaf, Jesus goes to him, he takes him, he kind of pulls him around by, him, by himself. Privately he meets with him. But Jesus is doing something similar here. He's establishing a connection, personal connection with this man. Now, why does he lead him outside the village? Again, Mark gives us no hints and no, no clues. Perhaps maybe like John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, it's the feeding of the 5,000, John's version of it. They, they, they see the sign that Jesus performed, and it says that they wanted to make him king. And Jesus is like, not like that. I'm the king, but not in the way you think I'm the king, so I'm not going to let that happen. Maybe he's doing that. But either way, they begged for Jesus to touch him, and Jesus grabs him by the hand, which is a good start. Because when Jesus touches people, big things happen. In chapter 1, verse 41, Jesus touches a leper, and not only is his leprosy healed, but he's then made clean. In chapter 5, verse 41, you remember this story as well? He takes a girl, he touches her, she's dead. He grabs her by the hand, and he pulls her up from death. Chapter 7, verse 33, we have a, a man who, who has a problem speaking and he can't hear, and Jesus touches him and fully heals him. So when he touches, things happen often. Now, of course, we know from the life and ministry of Jesus that he doesn't have to do this. In chapter 7, he met a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit. He doesn't even have the daughter within his sight, and he casts out the spirit unclean spirit from the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. He doesn't have to be in proximity. He doesn't have to touch. He can do it without that, but he often does. He doesn't have to establish relationship personally with people, but he often does. And it's at this point in the story where it gets even more personal because Jesus doesn't just share his hand with a man. Verse 23, if you continue, says, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Now, Jesus does something really strange here, and I'm not talking about spit. That's strange too, right? Like, this man now can, he can wear the, like, maybe he should make a badge or wear a hat or something like, Jesus spit in my eye. Like, he's, 
That's a small crowd. But I'm talking about something else that Jesus does that's strange here. He asked the man a question. You see that in verse 23. I know the spit kind of gets in our way and we think like, oh, I don't, don't see anything else. But he asks him a question. Do you see anything? He doesn't ask questions most of the time. Have you noticed that when he comes to heal? Like he just makes a statement. He declares something. Talitha Kumi, get up, arise. Doesn't say, like, are you feeling okay? Or he looks up into heaven, sighs and looks up into heaven and says, be loosed. <laughs> Your faith has made you well. Get up and walk. Here he asks a question. He doesn't do that most of the time. And not only is that different, but doesn't Jesus know the answer? Like, he knows the answer already to this, right? And Jesus is very intentional about everything that he does. He's God. Surely he knows the answer to the question that he's asking this man. Do you see anything? Jesus, when he was in the midst of a crowd, had a woman come up to him who just wanted to touch the fringe of his garment. And when she did it, he knew it. In the middle of a crowd, his disciples thought he was kind of crazy. They're like, well, there's a crowd around you. Of course you got touched. But he knew. Power has left me. (laughs) Something has happened. Someone touched me. He knew that. So surely he knows here. He knows, but he asks. And this is a small detail that reminds us that there's more going on to the story than just the healing of a blind man. More at stake here than just this blind man receiving his sight. Notice that the question from Jesus, as does this entire passage, it emphasizes sight, seeing. Do you see anything? It's not too different of a question than what he asked the disciples in the boat. In verses 17, why are you discussing you have no bed? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Similar type question. Verse 18, having eyes, do you not yet see? Verse 21, do you not understand? These are similar questions. Now, readers of the Gospel of Mark, which all of us are now included, we're in on this, knowing of Jesus' work with the leper in chapter 1, of his work with Jairus' daughter in chapter 5, of his work with the deaf man in chapter 7, and other stories should anticipate when Jesus asks this question, do you see anything? The answer is a resounding yes. Jesus, not only did he touch me, he spit in my eye. It's like double good. Like if, if his touch is powerful enough to bring a girl back from the dead, then his spit and his touch has got to be enough to at least give me sight, right? So like we should be at this point, verse 23, we end there, we say, do you see anything? I'm like, Absolutely. He's got better vision than he's ever had before in his entire life. This guy can see better than anyone. He has the spit of Jesus on his eyes. But in verse 24, we read this. He looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I think this is perhaps the biggest surprise that we've seen in the Gospel of Mark so far. He sees, but he doesn't. You could ask the question, is this man still blind? I think you'd say no, but still yes. Like he, he sees people, but they're like trees walk. That's not seeing. Did Jesus heal? Well, yeah, but no, too, at the same time. Like it's a yes, and it's kind of a no. There's a lack of clarity. Things are fuzzy. He can see, but not really. He's blind, not fully, but he's not fully seeing. He's somewhere in between. 
And doesn't that describe the condition of the disciples? Isn't this a mirror of them in some ways? And Jesus had taken them and he'd said, follow me. He took them by the hand and kind of let them out. You're now my disciples. We're doing something together now. And they left and they followed Jesus and they listened to him and they submitted to him and to his teaching so they can see some things. They heard his authoritative call. They followed after him. They can see some things. But in the boat, earlier, last week we saw this in chapter 8, their hearts were exposed as they discussed bread. And if we're going to have enough bread, and why we only have one loaf, and how could we have forgotten the bread after he just fed 4,000 with bread? So they, they can see some things, but they don't see clearly. Further evidence of this is chapter 8, verse 29. G- Peter is going to give one of the best confessions that we're going to see. He asks the disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. It's an amazing confession of faith. A couple verses later, he rebukes Jesus. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. It's quite the turn. He sees, but he doesn't see. In chapter 9, Jesus is going to foretell his death, and the disciples After hearing this, they're going to start talking about who's the greatest. James and John, after Jesus is going to tell about how he's going to die again, chapter 10, come to him and say, hey, can we sit at your right and your left? So in other words, the disciples see, but they don't see. They're those who look upon Jesus, and they see him, and they they see some things rightly, but it's so blurry that it lacks so much clarity that it's almost like you don't know what to say. Are they they blind, or can they see? I don't know. Yes and no. And my suspicion is that many people, especially church people, are in that kind of place. With Jesus and with Christianity. They, they kind of see, but not really. Kind of get it, but I don't really get it. One pastor described it this way. He says, sometimes when they have been in a service, a person in the state, when they've been in a service like this, They will say, yes, I'm a Christian, I believe this. And then something happens and they say, I cannot be a Christian. If I were a Christian, I could not not have such thoughts. I would not want to do the things I do. And he says of them, they seem to know enough about Christianity to spoil their enjoyment of the world, and yet they do not know enough to feel happy about themselves. They are neither hot nor cold. They see, and yet they do not see. And that seems like a really uncomfortable place to be. What an amazing story we have from Jesus, where Jesus comes and asks the question of the man he's healing, do you see? Because Jesus is doing something more than just healing this blind man, and Jesus actually wants the answer. Isn't that good, that Jesus, the one who can actually heal, he comes and he says, well, do you see? And he wants an honest answer. No matter where we are, Jesus wants us to be honest. That's why he asks Do you see anything? This author continues and says, now the question is, where do we stand? Ask yourself that question. Where do you stand? What exactly do we see? Have we got things clearly? Are we happy? Do we really see? We either do or we do not, and we must know exactly where we are. Do we know God? Do we know Jesus Christ? Not only as our Savior, but do we know Him? Are we rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory? 
That is the New Testament Christian. Do we see? Let us be honest. Let us face the questions. Let us face them with absolute honesty. I think we are meant to ask those kind of questions when we encounter this blind man in chapter 8. Do we see? And be honest. Wherever you are, be honest. Be honest before one another. Be honest before the Lord. Do you see? Do you really know him? Or are we in that uncomfortable place of kind of seeing but not seeing? Or do we really know Jesus? And perhaps the blind man could have said at this point, as his eyes are opened, I guess I can see. Those people? Okay, I can see. And he leaves. Could have done that, I suppose. He wouldn't be completely off if he did. He could see something. Perhaps he could have just said, I'm going to be satisfied and thankful that Jesus did anything for me at all. And even if people look like trees walking, I'm going to be okay with it. And we're just going to keep going. But he answers with honesty. He's very specific. (laughs) They look like trees walking. And Jesus asked for that reason so that the man would give an answer, an honest answer. You see, being honest with where we stand and with what we see is not a despairing activity. It's not a practice in vanity. Honesty before our gracious Son of God, with whether our sight is blurry, clear, or we're blind, is the best place of hope that exists. Because before that Son of God is our rescue. Whether we can see clearly or we have blurry vision or we're blind, if we're honest before the Son of God, then we're in the place of rescue before the one who can actually rescue us. That's where we can find restoration. Whether we're blind today or whether we see men like trees walking, restoration and clarity, they only come from Jesus. So we need to be honest when he says, do you see anything? Not just about physical sight. Do you know Jesus? Do you have sight? Do you really get it? This man's honesty and his lack of fully restored sight actually keeps him with Jesus. He doesn't say, I guess I can see. See you later. They look like trees walking. I think I'll hang around a little bit longer, see what else might happen. In verse 25, here's what happens. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sends him to his home, saying, don't even enter the village. Well, there we are. That's a few short verses. We come to the end of it, and this is just still a strange story. It takes two touches from Jesus for this man's sight to be restored. And it ends with this request to just go home. Don't even go back into the village. Why? I don't know. Mark doesn't say But I think that that, again, hints that there's more going on than just this man and what's going on in his life. I think Jesus is doing more. What's not to be missed in this story is that this man's sight is completely restored. He started out, he couldn't see, he ends, he could see. The only thing that happened in between was that he met Jesus. His sight is fully restored. What's even more significant and not to be overlooked in the middle of all these kind of strange details that are going on, it's that it is Jesus who does this again. Jesus, again, shows his power over whatever ails any human. 
blindness. He heals it with a touch, or in this case, two touches. Jesus takes a man who couldn't see and he fully restores his sight, but he doesn't do it all at once. It's a process. It wasn't instantaneous healing. He did that often enough. He certainly could have done it here. He certainly has the power to do so. I'm guessing if you have the power to heal someone who's blind, you can do it in an instant and you don't need two touches to get there. He does it gradually as a process. It wasn't instantaneous because Jesus is doing more here. It's gradual because this was for readers, for disciples that are around Jesus as well. See, Jesus is leading them by the hand, spitting on them, touching them, opening their eyes gradually in a process. It's not instantaneous, not for them. They too needed a second touch from Jesus. They needed healing. They needed more clarity. So they've seen some, but they're still blurry. They need more from Jesus. And I think that this is meant to make us ask, well, what about us? What if we too need more healing and more clarity? What if we're like the disciples where it seems like one minute we see things clearly, and the next minute we're asking about bread when Jesus is in the boat with us? Or we're saying Jesus is the Christ, and the next minute we're rebuking him to his face, which is not something I suggest that we do to God. What if that's our story? What if that's us? And it seems like, well, if I'm in the church on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm leaving thinking, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe this, and yet I go and I think those thoughts. And I do those things, and I think, well, I couldn't be a Christian then. What if you're in that place? You don't see things clearly. What if we're like the disciples? Here's what we see from the Gospel of Mark is that only Jesus opened his eyes. He's the place of restoration. He's the healer. He's the only one that can bring clarity for blurry-eyed people. Hear the words from this pastor again. What then? Well, the last step is to submit yourself to him. To submit yourself utterly to him as this man did. He did not object to further treatment. He rejoiced in it. And I believe that if our Lord had not taken the further step, he would have asked him to do so. And you can do the same. Come to the word of God. Stop asking questions. Start with the promises in their right order. Say, I want the truth, whatever it costs me. And bind yourself to it. Submit yourself to it. Come in utter submission as a little child and plead with him to give you clear sight, perfect vision, and to make you whole. And as you do so, it is my privilege to remind you that he can do it. Yea, more, I promise you in his blessed name that he will do it. He never leaves anything incomplete. Church, Jesus came to this earth had disciples follow him around and even record what he did so that we might see him clearly, so that we might know him. He came and lived and died and rose that sinners might be restored fully, be made whole, be reconciled to God. Amen. The Son of God loves us. And he loves to give sight to spiritually blind and blurry-eyed sinners like you and me. So be honest before God. Where do you stand? What do you see? But don't stay there. 
Ask him, ask him, would you, to give you perfect sight. And watch and see if he doesn't bring his son, Jesus, into clear focus for you in your life. Let's bow together. Let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful that you are so incredibly patient with us. It doesn't take long to look around at your creation, to see your power and your glory. And then, Lord, to look more personally, to see the work you've done in many of our lives and how you've revealed yourself so clearly in your word, how you love us. And how we then can just pivot on the dime and just forget. Lord, even those who know you, Lord, we, we struggle with blurred vision at times. And yet, just like your disciples, you endure. And you continue to pursue because it's who you are. As Dylan said, it's because you love us. And so, Lord, for those of us who have seen you with a sight leading to salvation, God, we pray that our vision would become more and more clear as we walk and pursue the grace that's been poured out. For those who may start, may be in process, Lord, and that they're starting to see you for who you are, they're seeing the, at least the fruits of your power and the lives of your people, they're seeing the truth of your word, and the wisdom of it, maybe they've been coming for a while and, and they're attracted, but yet they don't know. And God, we just pray for clarity. We pray for sight that would lead to salvation. Lord, none of us see perfectly, but God, may we see you rightly. Because you're worthy. And you made us to worship you, Father, and we can't worship that which we can't see and that which we don't understand. So give us sight, give us understanding where it's lacking, Lord. We know you will, because you promise, as Dylan reminded us through Martin Lloyd-Jones, you promise to complete the work you've started. Your word tells us that you don't leave work unfinished, and the results prove it. God, we just... We're grateful to be called your own. We're grateful for sight. We're grateful for your patience with us, God, as you unveil truth from those who are blind. We're all, we were all at least once those people, and we know that there are some this morning who still are. So be pleased, Father, to pour out your grace on us this morning and help us all to see. In Christ's name, amen. love hearing the gospel let's uh, let's sing about it would you please stand the 
grave. 